What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Tuesday Bro Tuesday. Wait for it. Punk, there it is. Tuesday Bro Tuesday. You know, this used to be a live call-in show, uh, and I'd love to try that again. I feel like I have the technology to do it, and we could do it pretty well, but uh, we'll circle back around to that. What we do nowadays is we sort of uh, unpack a little bit of the news that's been going on as it relates to the world of vaping, the world of tobacco, tobacco control, tobacco harm reductions, things like that. Freedom guy. I say that every time. First and foremost, I'm a freedom guy, registered libertarian. So that's the lens that all of this news is going to get viewed through. But welcome, you guys. Thank you so much for being here. We do have a very special guest that I'm about to bring on. We're going to be talking about what we were supposed to talk about two weeks ago before the dangle clacks just got so bad that we couldn't continue on. But I, I still want to talk about, heavy air quotes here, the study from Stanford that showed that uh, youths and young adults oh, are more, su- more susceptible to COVID-19 because they vape, but not if they continue to vape. It's, it's fun and it's complicated. And I think we're going to dig into it a little bit. We're going to be talking about uh, anti-nicotine zealots. Just love that word. Michelle Minton threw that word out there. Zealots. Uh, one thing I want to throw out there before we bring Michelle on is uh, there's still, I believe, an active call to action to submit your comment to uh, extend the PMTA deadline for certain small vape manufacturers. I've been hearing a few things here and there, left and right, about how this is going or how this is not going, but there's still an active call to action for this. So if you haven't already, go leave a comment on the docket. I feel like the more comments we have on it, the better. There's two ways to do this. You can go directly to regulations.gov, which I'll put that link in the description as well and leave a comment that way. But CASA has made it nice and easy right here with their call to action to submit your comment. And again, this doesn't apply to every single vape shop or every single vape company out there. It's, it's for a few of them, but we could help, could possibly help a few of these shops uh, maybe extend that PMTA deadline out. You know, this is something we've talked about a lot and it seems like the vape industry has just always been on some sort of deadline, constantly moving the goalposts. You know, people thought it was all over in 2013. People thought it was all over again in 2016, but we're still here. You know, we're still kicking around. They haven't succeeded completely yet. And, uh, we got to do everything we can. Legion sent you Moto Vapor? All right. Well, I appreciate you being here. Um, without any further ado, dangle clack free, let's bring in uh, our guest, the the prolific Michelle Mitten. How are you doing, Michelle Mitten? Hello. Thanks for having me on. I hope um, I'm looking at the chats just waiting for people to start. Yeah. Oh, I can't just skipping. Just people say, it oh, out. here comes the dangle clacks. You say no. You say no to the dangle clacks today. I'm real Not today, confident. dangle clacks. Not today, dangle clacks. I'm pretty confident. I've done a few test runs. I had, uh, you know, we had I Deb- saw Danielle. Yeah, Danielle Who's- Jones was on. It went great. Uh, I, had, I did uh, a little bit with Logan Exhales. I streamed for my patrons with Logan, and he's just, he's awesome. I don't know if you're hip to Logan Exhales on the Twitter, but mm-hmm. uh, he's a fantastic guy. But uh, we got Michelle Mitten. So welcome to Tuesday, Bro Tuesday, Michelle. I'm so happy that you're here. Here's to no dangle flex. Oh, yeah. and by the way, I'm I'm drinking unicorn farts tonight this evening. Oh, Maryland Brewery. Oh, unicorn. And <laughs> is that now that is appealing to kids? Definitely, Michelle. I feel right. Shout out to Duke Law Brewery. <laughs> I have a big juicy IPA in my loyal to the empire koozie 
Because why not be loyal to the Empire? How's that sour? It's pretty good. Supposedly sparkles, edible sparkles, glitter. But I'm drinking out of the can. I don't care about glitter. But it's a good sour. Yeah. Sound <laughs> with glitter included. That is ridiculous. I can't think of a more. Like they, they're very careful to say it's edible glitter. Yes. It's kind of like a fruit, fruity sour, less like lemony or lime and more like, I don't know, like tart cherry. It's good. See, that sounds interesting. That sounds great. And as adult, as an adult, you're enjoying this sour cherry flavor. Yes, I'm a big fan of the coffee stouts and the sour cherry beers and all of that. I like all the flavors. Give yeah. me the flavor. Yeah, give me the flavors too. I always point that out whenever I have a beer that's like, you know, oh, tropical coconut pineapple IPA. I go, oh, just an adult that loves some flavors. <laughs> yeah, you're you're not a you're not a grown man because you're drinking a child beer. Yeah. I drink I drink the flavorful ones that are also like under four percent alcohol, so I'm like <laughs> extra childlike. <laughs> that's okay, especially you know, especially on a live stream, you don't want to go too crazy with the alcohol percentage of your beer because then the live stream just goes completely off the rails. Well, then I start dropping F-bombs. Yeah, that's okay. F-bombs are allowed here on the Grim Green YouTube. They're almost encouraged, you know. Excellent. Almost encouraged. So, Michelle, let's talk about this Stanford study that happened. And I use the term study pretty loosely, Mm -hmm. as as I imagine I should be doing, because it was really more of a survey Right. Yeah, this is this is one of those studies that looks like a graduate student really needed to fill out, you know, their publications list. It's like, let's just throw, uh, I don't know how much it costs this third party to do their survey. Let's throw 50 grand at this survey company, get some data, sure. and then make it say what we want it to say. I'm sure they got the results. It didn't say what they liked. So they're like, let's try and do some um, statistical hocus pocus, some <laughs> sleight of hand, as I like to call it. Right. And, and then everybody just ran with it. And the big thing here from Stanford, I'm showing vaping linked to COVID-19 risk in teens and young adults. Data collected in May shows that teenagers and young adults who vape face a much higher risk of COVID-19 than their peers who do not vape. And they were very specific in that headline about teens and young adults, just teens and young adults. Is that the only people that, were, that this survey was open to? The survey uh, only included people ages 13 to 24, which is it's very interesting when you look at the, you know, and I'm not the only one who noticed this. I started looking at the tables with the numbers and it wasn't adding up. It looked really insane. The mere fact that 17.5% of the people in the survey, so it's about 4,000 people, uh-huh. um, like I said, ages 13 to 24, and 17.5% of the people who said they'd ever used e-cigarettes also said that they'd been tested for COVID. And this is mid-May which is ludicrous that you would find any random sample of the population and get to that high. You know, at that point, I think there were only a couple million tests done entirely and almost none of them were in people under the age of 18, yeah. which is, you know, half of their group, presumably. So it, none of it made sense. Then you really dig into the numbers. You're like, something really sketchy happened. I, I imagine that they wrote the headlines first and said, how do we devise a study that gets us to these headlines? Yes. And then they did the study. Uh, and that's right out of the school of Stanton Glantz, who says, you know, who back in the 80s said, or 80s, 90s, you know, I, I think about a study and I say, if this is going to get me the results, you know, is this going to move the policies where I want them to go? If yes, then I do the study. If not, I don't do it. 
And that's exactly what you have here. You have a study that was designed for the headlines and the media, you know, God bless the media. They just picked, they just, they just did exactly what everyone always expects, which is they got a press release from Stanford, did zero, probably didn't even look at the tables to notice the wonky numbers, just copy pasted quotes that were in the press release. Yeah. And it seems like, uh, it seems like a journalist or someone at, at any of these mainstream media news outlets would have maybe dug into it just a little bit, done a little bit of a deep dive to go, is this is this what they're saying? Is this really what's going on? I mean, I don't know. At this point, I'm like, everyone else gets their freedom of speech protected, but if you're in, if you're at a major mainstream media outlet, you maybe don't get unless you hire a science like a scientist on staff to review everything you guys are going to publish about science. Like that person just has to read it. Like open up the PDF at the very least. Yeah. Have a scientist on staff to tell yeah. you why you're so wrong. Yeah. Well, normally what you do, normally if you're a science journalist, this is standard practice for science journalism is you get a press release and this is like you would never, you know, if it was Philip Morris said, we, we did a study and it shows that, you know, smoking our cigarettes causes you to grow a unicorn horn. Yay, everyone wants <laughs> wings, whatever. And, you know, if you are a science journalist, you would never just print what was in the press release. You go to, you specifically seek out other scientists who were not involved in the study, who maybe right. have some criticism of it, and and this is, and this followed right on the heels of a, a was it the um, European Society of Cardiology put out a functionally a press release. It was a book report. You know, they looked at other studies and said, well, vaping causes heart problems. And I looked at the press release and I'm like, well, I never heard this about vaping raising blood pressure, except for obviously if you're vaping nicotine, you're going to have acute, you know, small rise and then it'll go away. Sure, sure. Uh, and so I look, I look. I looked at the actual study and I, I like highlighted the line and I sent it to their press office. And I was like, okay, so the study says five minutes, five to 30 minutes after you vape, your blood pressure goes up. However, direct quote, however, switching to e-cigarettes from smoking significantly lowers blood pressure in the long term. I'm like, you didn't include that in your press release. Yeah. What's the deal? Yeah. Uh, so that, you know, that, and the media picked right up on that one as well. So, you know, we have this Stanford one, which says what people anti-nicotine zealots have been wanting to say since the beginning of this outbreak they are always trying to tie e-cigarettes to any anything they can in the news to get the mm-hmm. attention out there to to have the message hammered into non-smokers hammered into parents mind this is just another reason and i've the number of times i've heard this phrase over the last couple since that stanford study this is just one more reason why we need to deal with the youth vaping epidemic yep uh it's exactly what they wanted and it doesn't matter a year from now this is retracted as it should be absolutely uh, and and this isn't just coming from you know shills, the tobacco industry shills, and people who are n- nicotine addicts. So they're just trying to defend it. This is coming from statisticians who have never been involved in tobacco. There's a, a, a few people. There's actually a test called a Grim test. Ha ha. Ha That ha ha. And it looks you know it looks at you know it says okay based on the numbers because scientists when they publish a study rarely give you everything you need to kind of work backwards and say does this make sense mm-hmm. but based on the if you if you have a total population number um do the could these are they possible functionally and so they looked at just things like sex reported so male female other sure and like sure. these numbers are impossible but like based on the numbers you're reporting this is impossible they said they found four grim errors in the first you know in the first half of the table so someone on someone actually published this on pub peer which is a really great place to go if there's a controversial study you can have there's no there's no block i mean it's almost always other researchers who go on there and they put their criticisms about studies and they point oh, them out oh that's really uh, and it interesting is, there are moderators so you can't have someone just come and dropping f-bombs and saying you know this person's a shill you don't get right. that the moderator 
creators say, well, this is a respected researcher in a field and they have these criticisms. So you publish it up there, but there's no, you don't have to go through an editorial board. And in this case with the Stanford study, for example, I know a lot of people have submitted comments to the journal. They're functionally letters to the editors. However, one of the authors, Bonnie Halpern, ugh, Bonnie Halpern Felsher. Yes, I have her name written down. She's on the editorial board. So she's going to knock back for sure. She's going to lean into the rest of the editorial board and knock back any criticisms that the, that the journal might have submitted to it to publish. Wow. And also her being on the editorial board potentially also explains why this study was conducted in mid-May and was published in early August. That is lightning fast, not only to just do the research, uh, to write the paper, to do the calculations, the statistical analyses, then get it through the peer reviewed process, which Bonnie in emails assured me three other scientists and one editor looked at it. So that makes, when I was asking her questions, she's like, rest assured, very condescendingly, rest assured, you know, yeah. other people looked at this. I'm like, you mean your friends on the editorial board? One of yeah. them? Okay. Oh, definitely. That, that, I'll sleep just great at night knowing that Bonnie. Um, so <laughs> You know, and it's not impossible that you could get a paper through that fast, depending on how complex it is. But this is fairly complex. I doubt any of the peer reviewers worked backwards through the data or right. even looked at numbers. They just said, well, it's Bonnie, so sign off. Yeah. Uh, and which you pointed out in one of your podcasts that she's also and she's on the you know advisors board of PAVE. Yeah, of which PAVE. Researchers is need to start putting that in. Is that a conflict, it's a conflict of, of interest? interest? Completely is, right? And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean, you know, even someone like Glantz, uh, it doesn't mean that their research is invalid. It doesn't mean that it's useless. However, they should have to point that out. They should, you know, just like everyone else said, uh, I consulted 20 years ago for a tobacco company. I did a right. speech. 35, my grandfather did a speech 35 years ago for Philip <laughs> right. Moore. Right. So I think they need to start putting that in there and say, well, I this is my potential conflict. And now what almost nobody does now, you need to actually look at the research to see, is this plausible, valid, reliable, which, you know, it's just so much easier. Science is difficult. Science is hard. So people will just say, well, this person's paid by something else. Uh, so therefore, it means it's useless. Yeah, like, there's a reason. Invalid. You know, the, the basis for FDA decisions, like with ICOs, for example, it was Philip Morris science. Yeah. They are scientists. That, yeah. that's, you know, and because the people at the FDA advisory boards who are looking at this stuff and making decisions are scientists, they know it doesn't matter that it's Philip Morris. And obviously they mm -hmm. have a bias. Mm -hmm. Obviously they, you know, they have a conflict of interest. However, they can look at the research and say, well, you're reporting the data. I'm seeing the data. And it all makes sense. Yeah. So, but most normal people can't look at research. So they just rely on someone like Glance to say, oh, well, this person has a conflict. You say, well, what, which, which conflict? Oh, we just know. We just know that they've, they've always been working with tobacco. Yeah. Big, big tobacco, big tobacco science. Yeah. That seems like a huge conflict of interest to me and they don't have to disclose that. And I don't remember who was saying this. I, I remember Matt Cully saying this, but it might've been, uh, I can't pronounce his name. Brad Rodu. Rodu. Raudu, who was saying uh, that University of Louisville. Louisville. Louisville, that they make these, you know, studies like this, that Stanton Glantz does so complicated and tangled, you know, up on each other that it takes a, a longer time to undo it and to go back and to get to the facts. And they do that like purposefully. They tangle it up uh, on purpose just because so it takes so much longer to actually get to the to get to the truth of it, and by the time that happens, you know what damage is already done. I mean the American and they know that. Yeah, the American Heart Association is still pushing that Stanton Glance 
nonsense about how the people somehow had heart attacks, you know, before they started vaping or had these cardiac events before they started vaping, but then, you know, attributed those cardiac events to vaping damage yeah. is already done. I was just watching a C a C old C-SPAN, uh, maybe two years old uh, conversation about e-cigarettes and vaping and a caller, you know, cause it's the, cra- I'll never go on C-SPAN cause they just have all the craziest people call in and let them say whatever <laughs> they want to say. And this, you know, 80 year old man gets on and says, well, my wife smoked for 65 years and she quit. Uh, and then she started vaping for two years and then she got tongue cancer. And I was like, dude, what makes you think yeah, two years what? of vaping versus 65 years of smoking is what yeah. gave your wife cancer? Yeah. How can you, how, yeah. How can you possibly think that? How can you possibly I mean, think that? Uh, the interviewee was Jane O'Donnell from the USA Today, who's like a pretty good journalist. She's one of the few who writes about this issue who, who I mean, she does have a bias clearly, but she usually goes in. Um, and she seems to take a, a much more objective view of what's going on than, than a lot of other journalists do. And sure, she's much more sure. careful. And her reaction was just, I'd be very surprised if it was the vaping that caused the tongue cancer. Yeah. I'd be yeah, very, very surprised. Very surprised. So go, so going back to the Stanford, mm-hmm. what does the data actually say? Because I was reading, you know, in reason, I'm a big reason fan. I was reading in reason that ever vapors they showed had a higher risk, but if you continued vaping, then suddenly that, that risk kind of just disappeared, just didn't exist anymore. Yeah. So based on their numbers, what they found was that, uh, I believe dual users at dual ever users and e-cigarette users ever had us at an increased risk of testing positive for COVID based on the self-reporting from this online survey. However, um, Current or recent use of cigarettes or recent use of e-cigarettes alone, no increased risk. Only dual for the last 31 days. You know, if you'd vaped and smoked for the last 31 days, that was the only one, I think, uh, that that showed an increased risk of testing positive, again, based on based on the self-reported numbers. Now, let me see. I'm just double-checking here to make oh, sure yeah. that I'm accurate about that. Yep, that was the only one. Only dual had an increased risk, only recent dual use had a statistically significant increased risk, even just based on the numbers that they had reported in this. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not convinced that this survey wasn't completely polluted by cheaters, by people who knew that this was being done. Uh, I, there are sure. ways that that could have gotten out. This happened to um, Peter Hayek when he was doing a similar survey mm-hmm. and they had to stop. They had to stop the test because they said it, these are implausible numbers. Something's it's, it's clearly being flooded by cheaters, something by people who want on there. Yeah. They want the outcomes to, to be something specific. Yeah. So for ever use, it was e-cigarettes and dual use, not cigarettes only. So ever, ever, ever cigarette use, no effect on, on COVID risk. Uh, and so th- this is completely impossible. I like what Constantinos Farsalinos said it best. I think when he said, um, it's like saying ever eating bacon is associated with obesity, but not eating bacon in the last month. It makes no, and then saying bacon causes obesity. It makes right. no sense, biologically no sense. implausible. There's no mechanism for this. But the really big problem in the study, and uh, you know, other people have picked out other things that they don't like, and you know, the grim test and these implausible numbers. And for sure. me, it's just, I don't care. I care about all that other stuff, but the fact that they didn't calculate risk of testing positive based on the number of actual tests that were done in each group. You know, if you have two groups of 500 and 450 were tested for something in one and 50 were tested in the other, you're right. going to have a lot more positive tests than the one right. where almost every. Yeah. And that's what you have here is you have only less than 6% of 
of never tobacco users, never e-cigarette users said that they were tested for COVID. And almost 18% of the e-cigarette ever users said they were tested. No shit, you're going to have more positive tests, right? If you, yeah. if you test one and adjust their, they didn't adjust their calculation based on that. When you do that calculation, you know, breaking it down because we know how many are in each group mm-hmm. based on the numbers that they're reporting, about 13%, just based on those tested, about 13% of ever e-cigarette users tested positive from this group and 14% of never users tested positive. So I don't think that's statistically significant, but no. what that says is the never users were slightly more at risk based on these numbers that I don't trust as far as I can throw Bonnie Halper and Felcher. <laughs> yeah, yes, absolutely. And so, yeah, I mean, even if you can find some reason, you know, in the numbers, you, you can't trust the numbers to begin with. And she told me that they did some kind of, um, you know, they, I don't want to get too statistical talking about parametric data, but they basically parametric took data. That might be over my head, maybe yeah, over some took, of our heads, but go for know, they it. Took this super unrepresented, it's clearly an unrepresentative sample, meaning it doesn't look like the rest of the country. And then they tried to apply it to the rest of the country and extrapolate out and say, well, if, you know, five people in this group had this thing, and then we multiply the group number by the whole U.S. population, this is what it would be like in the whole U.S. But it doesn't work that way. You can't do that, especially when you have testing that's off like this, numbers that are off. It, none of it makes sense. So they tried to do that. And that's why you'll uh, see if you look at the data, it's like 4,000 people. I'm like, where are they getting these numbers from? They only had 2,000 people. And But the problem is they did this. So they said, we had this small group. We're going to translate it to the whole United States, which Bonnie says is a strength in, in emails. And I, she talked to me like she thought I was a five-year-old idiot, um, not even a smart five-year-old. But... So they had to wait things. They had to say like, well, you know, because we have, there's more women, more men. There's a lot of people who who didn't even tell us their sex. They said other. So we're going to translate it to the whole U.S. You have to wait your numbers. And they they don't disclose how they did that waiting, which is, I imagine, how they got some of their results is by doing some shifty waiting techniques. Yeah. More of that statistical hocus hocus pocus. Hocus pocus. Wow. Not even very good. So some people can get, you know, I can see where it would take like a year for either the path data, for example, is, uh, you know, it's, it's private. It's only certain people have access to it. This is from the Stanton gland study that was retracted. It took a year to get that study retracted, which is actually kind of fast, sad, but true. That's kind of fast that it was a done. Year? A year is uh-huh. fast. How long does it normally take to get something like that retracted if it needs to you be know, retracted? You'd have to ask retraction watch, but it's usually a lot longer from what I've, you know, maybe it's just the fields that I look at, but it, you, if ever, you know, retractions are rare at all because everyone has an incentive to not do it. Right. <laughs> like there's very little incentive to do because it makes the journal look bad, makes everybody look bad. Um, uh, but you know, I, you know, this I feel data, like- this data, is weird to look. it's so obvious. It's it, if it's if it was intentional, it was poorly done, right? So it's like if it's a scam, it's a poorly done scam. At least if you're going to do that, do it better. at least if you're gonna do it do it better take the time you know and i feel like get something getting retracted at least in my eyes the way that i was always taught uh, about science is that that's not a negative thing it should be something that is embraced like okay well now we know the truth now we know that what we thought previously was false that this study needed to be retracted it's whatever unreliable unscientific now we can pivot and learn the truth truth about and a lot of the times a lot of the times the retractions are done by the author 
authors themselves, they'll say, we made a mistake mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. we don't want our names sullied by exactly. having this paper out there constantly being cited so we are going to ask the journal and that that's how it happens much faster if the authors ask the journal to retract a study that will happen quickly and i feel like that is you know you're raised up even more on a pedestal because you took that personal hit to say look i would rather have my accurate science to my name right. than bad science much right. harder when you're fighting you know when it's someone like glance who's going to keep insisting it doesn't matter if they had heart attacks before they ever used e-cigarettes <laughs> they're still yeah. responsible somehow um so yeah, I, it, retractions are very hard. You know, with with the Glance study, it took a an army of people inside and outside of the tobacco research field, pretty much saying this is obviously bad. This is bad for you as a journal. And I think this is something in science we've been talking about, and we need to talk about more. Is how do we make journals do that? How do we make universities? Because universities have their own incentives not to deal with bad. You know, with Glance, for example, he brings in a ton of money to UCSF with yeah. grants. And speaking of Glance, his grant was used to write this study we're talking about today. It was his grant this number. This is Glance money for the Stanford study? Yes, wow. the Stanford study. If you look at the, so each time there's a study that's funded by NIH or anywhere that gives out grants that's public funding, they will have a grant number there. If you look up the grant number, he is the principal investigator uh, listed for that grant, meaning he gave them the money to do it. I, he's not listed as an author, so I don't know if he had anything to do with it, but he, he lent them some of his grant money to do this study. That's incredible to me. That's incredible. And Stanton Glantz, obviously, it appears that he's one of these guys, doesn't matter if his name's attached to accurate science, junk science, whatever. Not even his own science? Not, one yeah, of his not, grad students? One of, yeah, doesn't even matter. Just doesn't even care. Wow, that's unbelievable. And, you know, and then like we said, the media just kind of ran with this. And then we had, you know, politicians jumping on board. Raja Krishnamurthy used this as a big platform. And if, mm. if and when this ever gets retracted, what are the odds that he's ever going to say, oh, oops, I, I based this legislation on bad science. I mean, no, he won't. By then, by then, there'll be five, six more studies that say exactly what he wants them to say or close to it. So he'll just, if he even bothers to stop citing retracted studies, he'll cite this one. And that's what I wrote in my recent blog post at CEI was this it's it's ludicrous almost that when you're talking to people who are anti-nicotine anti-vaping yes. they will constantly you tell them they'll say well there's no research for x and you say here's the research they say well it's not long term enough here's a long-term study that's two three years long here's one that's five years long and they say well that's not realistic that's clinical that's not real world use you say here's real world use and then they say well that's anecdotal and you say okay <laughs> or, or then they'll say this they'll say well, well that's just one study that's not good enough. And then you have a study like this, which is clearly unreliable, at the very least questionable, right? This is some questionable stuff right. compared to these 700 studies. I think Phil's been collecting them, uh, 700 studies showing smokers are underrepresented in yep. COVID positive populations. Yep. So you have one study, good enough. It's online survey. Good we don't even know if these people are being honest, but, <laughs> but this is proof that we need to take immediate government action extreme one study but when it's that's why the title of my piece is they care about science only when it says what they want them to say yeah only when it says what they want them to say and again it's that whole that we have the conclusion that we want let's do what we can let's do the study or the science or whatever to, to support this conclusion that we have how do we live in this world michelle mitten 
Well, par part of it is, you know, um, it's like blood in the water. The NIH said, well, there's a problem. And you know, these groups were saying, there's a problem, there's a problem, there's a problem. We need money to research this problem. The government says, okay, here's some money to research the problem. And then a bunch of people at universities raise their hand and say, we'll research it. We'll definitely find you a problem so that we can keep on researching this problem. Keep giving us money. Because this is, you know, in my, uh, the wonderful uh, audio book that you read, in my perverse psychology, yes, when you read that. I love that. You know, one of the things I tracked out, and it's difficult to tell with NIH and CDC with their grants, because a lot of them, the data is just hard to get a hold of where they're sending their grants, what the grants are for, what the grants are attached to. Sure. But you can see that when the when the vape panic began, and this isn't even when youth use was really rising, it was slightly after that as it was coming down again, you can see the money start to flood in and then all these studies come out showing how horrible it is because mm. the money's there. Mm. This is a big money maker for, I mean, and, and it's not even con conscious. It's not people saying, well, I'm going to do this evil thing and this is going to be my new big bad dragon that I'm going to take on. It's just right. the money's there. Mm -hmm. You have a particular bias or lean. So you do the research with your, whether it's a conscious bias or an unconscious bias and the money keeps flowing in and more people flood into the research field to do it, to get a hold of that money because that's yeah. where the money is. Well, and wasn't, didn't the, wasn't it the American Lung Association? I think you pointed this out on Twitter that one of their, you know, whatever uh, goals is to maintain their funding and things like this. Oh this yeah, in their recent webinar. They, yeah, their you know, recent they had a webinar. And you see this every time one of these groups testifies before Congress or has a webinar, they, they always tack on at some point. And this is why it's so important to fund, you know, ALA or whatever yep. their NIH institute is that gives them money. And, you know, I work at a nonprofit, so I, I sympathize. We are, we are very, you know, I, in one of my earlier papers that I wrote about this fear profiteers, I admitted, and my, my office was like, do you really want to put this in there? And I was like, I have to put this in there. Otherwise it's hypocritical to say, as a nonprofit, every nonprofit uses the same model pretty much is to say, you know, we have something we want to say. Yeah. We find things that are newsworthy and we say this is important. Also, we are the ones who can deal with it, research it, whatever, whatever it is that you do as an organization. Give us more money so that we can do that. And that's what sure. these groups are. I mean, they have the extra leg up in that they can go to the government. And if they're in California, they can force people to give them money through taxes, <laughs> yep. which, hey, that's a great racket, which it was the precursor to ALA back in the, the turn of the last century, functionally said that at a meeting. They said, look, donations are great. Private money is great, but there is nothing as reliable as taxpayer money. Yeah. So they knew oh, all yeah. the way back then, if you can get on that taxpayer money train, you're golden forever. Yeah, you got nothing to worry about. Wow. Follow the money. I mean, the saying follow the money is really like a is really like a thing. And I mean, you know, in our eyes and, and at least in the vape community's eyes, a lot of these organizations, American Lung Association, American Heart Association, their credibility, CDC, their credibility is just. It's hard. It's really, you know, as someone who, you know, I'm a nutritionist by trade. I, I, I like a lot of work that these groups do. I was sitting at um, several meetings with someone from the American Heart Association last year. And she was working on really great programs to help get, you know, inner city people who live, who are lower socioeconomic status to get them fresh fruit and food, vegetables, stuff like that delivered sure, to their house. Sure. I'm like, this is a cool program. You know, you're getting private businesses to develop like volunteer funds and supplies. And like, this is awesome. But in the back of my head, there was still this thing where I'm like questioning everything she's saying. And <laughs> yeah. 
I, because I'm such an optimist and I really like to think the best of people until they give me no other choice. I was like, I just like to think that some of these groups, including the CDC, are just so compartmentalized. They have no idea what's going on. Like the tobacco unit, they have no idea what they're doing. And, and you know, in, in a weird way, that's a little bit like my organization where people, I get people on Twitter who are like, global warming and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I have no idea what they're doing. I honestly don't even <laughs> read what the other people are doing. So I don't know what you're talking about. Like, yeah. like I got my platform. I do my, you know, I pay attention to some things, but I'm like, the, the, the climate change folks, I uh, I have no idea what they're up to, so don't don't blame me. Get mad at them. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can't so you can't you can't be expected to be a subject matter expert on everything. And you just know. you know, if if one of my colleagues, and to be fair, I will say something to my colleagues if they if they say something that I find absolutely detestable. Like if someone was just like you know a Nazi or something and talking about that, I would definitely be like, okay, I gotta leave, or you need to you need yeah. to deal with it. <laughs> yeah. But with the climate change stuff, I just kind of, until there's something really bad that uh, I have, that I just not, I'm not particularly, it's not my interest area. Let's just say that. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Well, and it kills me. One of the things, you know, Bonnie Halpern Flesher, like you said in your paper, she's a, she's a self-described anti-vaping advocate. And yeah, she's not hiding it. Not, hi not even ashamed about it a little bit. Anti-vaping advocate, which I think, I mean, personally... Hopefully, in the long run, that's just going to age like milk. I feel I feel like that's going to be, you know, you look back at, you know, in the '60s when people were anti-seatbelt people, you know. No, it'll be like the U.A. The rest of the world looks at the U.S. when we waited so long, and our government, our federal government, actually prevented states from doing clean needle exchanges during the AIDS HIV outbreaks right. of the of the early. The rest of the world looked at us like you are absolutely insane, backwater yeah. country. <laughs> or we've got our crisis under control and yours is still, you know, completely out of control. That's how they'll be looked at. And I would guess 20 years time, 20 years. We got to wait 20 years to get justice for Bonnie Halpern Flesher. Yeah, but she'll still be alive. Man. Lance probably won't be, but you know, she'll still be alive. And, and I'm, I'm not usually vindictive, but I am. There's that schadenfreude of like, I do yep. want these people to live, to see their legacy destroyed uh, <laughs> oh, because they just wow. deserve it. Someone like Glance deserves, and I, like I said, I'm sure he's a perfectly lovely person in person. If you're not an attractive woman that works for him or something like that, but right, <laughs> uh, these these folks, you know, whether or not they know they're doing it, they're actually killing people, mm -hmm. even just with disinformation. And even if not that, it is such a violation of scientific principles that it it warrants them. Like it warrants severe punishment, include up to and including the destruction of their reputation and their professional careers, because science is built on good science. Yes. Bad science yeah. is built on bad science. And for me, one of the big things, and I, I talk about this a lot, is one of the founding principles of ethical medical practice and research is respect for autonomy. You cannot mm -hmm. force people to do things, even if it is in their best, even if it's legitimately they say. I would love to quit this thing. I would love to stop doing this. You can't force them to do it because it's just, it, you, it, well, for, for one thing, it gets into really, it's, it's, we have that because of the Nazis, frankly, <laughs> because of Nazi research practices, you know, the whole world said, Hey, look, we're just going to stop it being okay with experimenting on people and doing surgeries on people. And, uh, right. you know, right. Mengele. Mengele. Yes, exactly. Mengele. Exactly. Right. And I mean, of course, that continued for a long time afterwards with lots of excuses about why they could do certain things like the Tuskegee Airmen. But 
to this day, you know, and this time it's in research in medicine, there is supposed to be a lot of respect for autonomy. I don't know why that doesn't translate into the social sciences where you have people saying, well, you know, we're doing this human math, five people live, maybe four people die, 10 people live, maybe four people get a disease. Like these are, they're not numbers, you know, they're not numbers in a game that you're playing. These are human beings and they should have, even if they die, even if they're making that choice to take a risk with their life, it should be their choice. That's the only ethical outcome, yes. not because you force them to live. That's not ethical. <laughs> right. Yes, absolutely. Wow. Yeah, that's good. That's that's kind of I've just never thought about it that I've never thought I've never gone down that path of thinking before. Have you heard of the trolley problem? It's this very fun. And I, I've written the about trolley. it before. Yeah. The only it, reason I know yeah, about so it is because of the good place. Yes, the good place because was a very place. fun representation. But yeah, right. so you know, it's this idea. If your listeners aren't familiar, it's there's a out of control train, <clears throat> and five people are on the track and they're going to die, and you have the option to like switch the track so it goes over to one side and kills another person. Mm-hmm. Is it ethical to do that? And you know, my answer to that has always been: it is not ethical to do that at all. It's not ethical to push the guy off the bridge in the way of the train for sure. It's depth like no action involved. You know, unless unless you can run in front of the guy and like push him out of the way. It's not ethical because you are making conscientious choice to take life away, which isn't true. Yes. Society, nature, accidents, all of that will do that. But it's very different when you make the conscientious choice to kill somebody or to hurt somebody or to take away their liberty. And I really hope people outside of the tobacco control field, I'm worried because I, I see interest in autonomy waning, even among people who, you know, like the cannabis folks, they are making arguments to me where I'm like, no, this is not the winning. I mean, maybe it's the winning argument where you live, money, taxes, criminal justice, all that stuff. But the winning argument is adults have the right to get their swerve on if they want to. Like adults, what happened to better living through chemistry and adults being able to change their consciousness by their own choice? Yes. 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 You could say, well, when you try to stop them, all this horrible stuff happens. And that is 100 percent true. That is true that if you try and stop adults from getting their swerve on, they're going to get it on in some other weird way. It's probably more dangerous. Yeah. Yes, in a probably true. more dangerous way. And they do, they will, but all of that is immaterial. So the, to the main point, which is that person has every right to do that, to drink a cup of coffee, to, you know, take a cold shower, to drink alcohol, to, to smoke d- nicotine, drink glitter nicotine, beer, to drink glitter, edible yeah, glitter, and yeah. to drink edible glitter. Right. And that's something that, you know, adult choice is a big thing that I talk about a lot on here and on, you know, and on the vlog. And it was, it all came from, uh, I can't remember his name, but he he was, it's going to drive me insane. Who did this blog post basically saying if they, even if they find something bad with vaping, like maybe after 20 years of vaping, your lungs just explode or something. Even if they find something bad with vaping, we still need a reason to defend its use. And that should be the adult choice. A lot of people will stop. (laughs) Yeah. Like this is the the thing that drives me nuts about this. And I'm sure it drives a lot of other people who, like people who vape want to know this stuff. Mm -hmm. They want to know what the risks, exactly what the risks are. Mm -hmm. We recognize that we're not going to know that for very, very minute risks. And this is something I say with cannabis. People say, oh, but there's this evidence about psychosis and, and all this other stuff and addiction and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, when you have 20 plus years of research on a thing and with cannabis, you know, it's, it's, you have a hundred years of data yeah, at least. pretty much. 
and you still don't have definitive answers, what that means is if there's an effect, it is so small, you're having trouble detecting it. Yes. Right. And we have that with that's where we are with vaping now as well is you know, the research is actually pretty close in terms of um, the amount and the quality of the research on nicotine and on cannabis. You have, yes, there are risks. For sure, there are risks involved with e-cigarette use. There are sure. risks involved with going outside and breathing the air outside. Sure. The question is how much risk? And that's something we want to know so that yeah. we can make informed decisions. Well, but we don't want to be lied to. How much risk comparatively to, to the alternative, which is combustion, how much risk compared to that? And this is something that... You know, uh, back in 2016, they were trying to find a lot of stuff, you know, similar to what they're doing now, trying to find a lot of stuff wrong with vaping. And they would say, oh, well, this liquid has, you know, we tested this liquid and it has whatever X, Y, Z, acrolein or something in it. And I would always say, "Uh, that's something I want to know. And, you know, liquid manufacturers want to know that too, because we want the safest product possible. And so we can change the liquids to be safer products because we want the safest product possible. And it's the same thing like with the, you know, the outbreak of TH, the illicit THC lung injuries right. where it was the acetate. And no, I don't think any states at that point when that happened had that on their prohibited ingredients list. They all like almost all of them with, with recreational or medical cannabis have that listed now as a prohibited sus- substance right. or additive. But so that's the thing that people want to know. Yes, absolutely. So, but but now what we're at, where we are now as consumers and i'm sure as the industry as well you know you see these studies and you're like i'm not going to change my formula because i don't trust this as a right. consumer i don't trust with it so when when mm-hmm. if and when the government does find something some serious risk involved with any particular substance who's going to believe them right with with mar- yeah. marijuana yeah. is having this problem cannabis is having a huge problem with as the research starts to find risks associated with cannabis use, if they're mm-hmm. there, I'm not really convinced. But see, this is one of the reasons everyone says, well, that's just reefer madness BS. Psychosis, come on, that's reefer. Like the idea that someone who has, a, like someone who is going to become a schizophrenic, has a predilection for schizophrenia, yeah. might somewhat increase their risk of having a schizophrenic break if they use a ton of cannabis products. Sure. Maybe that's true, maybe that's not. But who's going to believe the government if they say that? at this point because it's right. reefer madness you're just no and and so anybody who says that gets pilloried in public anybody who talks about that is functionally excommunicated just not to, to quite the degree right. um because cannabis research because it's still legal pretty much uh there isn't as much money so there isn't this framework like there is in tobacco control yeah. this um this search that's ready to excommunicate anybody who who threatens the dogma so but but it's it is still there Anybody who brings stuff up like that is, you know, tisk tisk. You shouldn't talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, and one thing that I keep thinking about is all of the stuff that we're dealing with. I mean, as far as the vapor industry goes, with now the federal government getting involved in it, I feel like it's not far off for the cannabis industry for the federal government to just shift their gaze a little and go, "Okay, you guys now, and now we're going to control this, and you have to do this and this and X Y Z and blah 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 and all this stuff." Oh, I've been warning them for years, and and I've been. Do- I have a paper that's coming out. I think on the around the twenty first, right when the House, you know, the U.S. Congress should be voting on descheduling cannabis, right? Uh, and which is record. a thing that's happening, right? It, well, you know, it's happening on the House floor. It's not going to happen in Senate because sure. just, they're not going to allow Republicans to have to make a vote on record about it. So it probably won't get voted on in Senate this time around. But you know, 
one of the things I'm talking about in, in my paper is this idea that, oh, I actually lost my, I totally lost my train of thought. What were we talking about right <laughs> before I mentioned that vote? Uh, uh, federal government turning their gaze to cannabis yes, yes. regulations. Yes. So, Go. And Amelia, Amelia Howard, actually, you know, she reviewed my paper and she, you know, she pointed out and I was like, she's absolutely right about this, that I talk about how there's, it's a paper contrasting the treatment of nicotine and cannabis. And among and among a lot of the same people where you have where is the American Lung Association, the American Heart Association, where where, sure. where are these people on the cannabis issue? They say things here and there, but it's not like the targeted focused thing. Right. Uh, and I'm already seeing them start to use the same techniques that they used with cigarettes, with alcohol going further back with vaping. It's focus on the kids focus on secondhand whatever. So be, then that is the only way that they can get over the individual rights, this this innate American idea of the right to get your own swerve on. If you're not hurting anybody, you should have a right to do with your own body what you want. Yes. To get around that, they say, well, you're yes. not just doing that. You're hurting people around you. Secondhand alcohol consumption is a problem. Thirdhand vaping, it's on your clothes, whatever. You know. Yeah. So you're hurting the inchworms. And you're leaching <laughs> nicotine, in, in, yeah. you know, as that stupid truth ad, and nicotine. Plus um, nicotine. You're, you're leaching that into the groundwater, the environment. They're trying everything they possibly can to get around. And Stanton Glance has talked very frankly about this. Where he's like, if you mm -hmm. get into a fight with a libertarian, got to get around. You can't, you can't get bogged down in the in the personal individual rights argument because we can't win there. It's got to be kids. It's got to be secondhand. You got to turn them into disgusting, murdering monsters next to you. Yes, it seems like they've had this playbook open for quite a while since before prohibition actually yeah like this is like uh, temperance I, movement type of stuff i always encourage people if it because most people haven't heard of this but to look up um the phrase scientific temperance okay i'm gonna do it right now michelle you can't stop me because that that was actually taught in uh schools across the country prior to prohibition and it was their plan to functionally indoctrinate young people with scientific temperance. It, it's all this goofy early 20th century eugenics almost style stuff of like, uh, and, and in Nazi Germany too, you know, Hitler was super against smoking and there was a lot of talk of it contaminates, not the DNA, they didn't know what that was, but you know, it contaminates sure. the genetic pool and all this other stuff. And these arguments have been around for so long and you can see them, you know, well, they're smart enough to know now that they can't, touch on anything that looks like eugenics but they do it very lightly you know and and there's some of the stuff of instead of making someone evil we'll try and make them the victim right so back in the day with alcohol it was alcohol makes immigrants and black people into these monsters that attack right. white women yes uh, yep and now yep. it's big tobacco you know uh, black people have no choice but to use menthol because the tobacco companies tell them it exists and they have no choice because they're just babies and they you know they just they don't right. have the intelligence or the strength to choose not to do it so we have to protect them from big tobacco uh so it's this playbook that's been around for an extremely long time yeah it's a depressing playbook <laughs> and but it's, it's very important and this is something I'm, I'm really, and I think everybody who's listening should really, really focus on this. You need to talk to your liberal friends because they get, they get a lot of the, uh, the arguments. They just don't, they're not seeing the connection here. You mm -hmm. know, they say cannabis. Yes, there's some evidence that there are harms. Alcohol, same thing, but we are not trying to ban it. Even though kids are always going to be able to get a hold of it. We're not trying to ban it because we think adults should have the right to make these choices for themselves. Yeah, now, absolutely. Do it with nicotine. What's wrong with nicotine? They're going to say big tobacco, but big tobacco. And you say, you think people are too stupid to recognize advertising when they see it? 
Yeah. To know that the, the, the who trusts big tobacco at this point. I mean, honestly, it's a miracle. <laughs> yeah. It's a miracle that vaping got that got picked up at all because of the distrust that the tobacco control had instilled in the population for so long. Yeah. You know, with the secondhand smoke thing, if you go back and really look at the science, it is incredible what a scam that was. Mm-hmm. How much of a scam the secondhand smoke idea was not that it doesn't exist of course it exists sure you're breathing out something other than air around people there might be something but the evidence was never there to support what they were saying yeah yeah my favorite tidbit on that is planes they started with planes on short flights flights under two or three hours no no smoking right no smoking on planes the funny thing was before that before they banned smoking on flights the air was cleaner than outside air because they were cycling it constantly. They were cycling the air in and out, recycling the air, recycling the air. And then when they banned smoking, they didn't have to do it as much. So the oh, air quality right. kind of, which is very, and I'm like, so it was never science that did it. It was distaste and target. It was targeted. We saw recently someone said prohibition was a study published in some journal that publishes apparently everything. We should look back at prohibition. It actually maybe did work. Oh, uh, Yeah. And- Yep. And that woman, was, you know, we got into the, we got into it on Twitter and we were talking with her and she was like, oh, well, this is why, I, she was like, this is why we need to start with the bans, the prohibitions on e-cigarettes need to start where there's very little use. And I'm like, yes, that's because there will be no fight. That's that strategy is there will be less of a fight. There are more people who just dislike vapors and smokers and want to get rid of them and want to push them mm-hmm. out of their society because mm-hmm. they don't fit the ideal. Deplorables, deplorables, exactly. Michelle. And then you get a state like California does, does what it just did. And then another state says, oh, I didn't know you could do that. I'm going to do that. It's like in traffic, <laughs> in traffic, when you get stuck and someone's like, I'm just going to use the shoulder. And then it's like five other people are like, oh, I didn't know you could do that. I'm doing oh, that. Shoulder. We had that with a valley where, you know, Gretchen is like, I'm just going to just government emergency order. I'm doing it now. And then you had, you know, 10 other states try and do it too. Yep. Until the, until the court started knocking them back. Yep. Well, and it, yeah, the same, it happened in, where did it happen? Massachusetts, but it stuck. New York, but it got pushed back but they got it through again i love rhode island is just like yeah massachusetts go ahead everyone come here every time massachusetts does something rhode island gets a huge influx of money from people crossing the border yeah oh yeah i don't doubt that well and that's another thing is you know there's there's so many unintended consequences of these bans and these prohibitions that you know i don't even you, you know you were on that reason panel uh i can't remember the gentleman's name i think i wrote it down mike uh, Mike, oh, Mike, Mike Lafave, yeah. yeah, who was talking about uh, smuggling of tobacco products and how mm-hmm. New York State smokes more smuggled cigarettes now than they do legally purchased ones. Ju- and, and it's not even because of a ban or anything; it's just because the taxes are so high. Same in New York. New York, it's sixty percent. New York State. Yeah, New 60% York State. Of the, yeah, sixty percent of the cigarettes consumed are bootlegged mostly from virginia and they know this because they look at the bot researchers went into trash cans and you know they did a it's kind of like fishing and you're like let's measure the fish we'll take five random fish and then say this is the average sure they did it with trash cans they pulled out cigarettes uh i I can't remember how many it was maybe a couple hundred they said well look and see at the bottom are they stamped here in new york are they stamped somewhere else yeah six percent of them were stamped at a different state which with virginia has cheaper taxes than new york New York City, I'm sure, is worse if you just look at New York City because they have their own extra tax on top of the state tax and on top of the federal tax. 
it's called border bleed. And we've seen this with alcohol forever that when a state starts to like uh, implement taxes, you know, for Philadelphia, for example, did this with soda recently. They sure, put a sure. soda tax on. I love I'm from Philadelphia and I love that they were one of the only places that didn't even make any. There was no pretense that they were doing it for public health. <laughs> like we want to we want to deal with obesity. No, there's like, no, we want to raise money. To, to they have just said we need money. Care. We just want money. We need. We want to do universal pre-K. That's why we have the tax. And because Philadelphia is a little, is a city, people just said, "Well, when I go get my gas in New Jersey, which a lot of people do, I'll just buy soda." Yeah. <laughs> and you could see it right outside of the city. The soda manufacturers were saying, "We're getting a huge increase." If if you ever look at an alcohol consumption by state kind of thing, mm -hmm. DC is usually extremely high on there. If they include DC, it's like the most drunkest city in the country or whatever. It is. <laughs> I mean, it is. You have to, to survive here, yes. But it's also people from Maryland and Virginia will buy their beer and liquor in D.C. and then go home because they work in the city. And there's like, well, it's cheaper in D.C. I'll just get it and here. And better options. And it's not, in Virginia, it's ABC stores. You, know, you only can, you, and you can only go to the stores to get liquor. In Maryland, it's, it's insane. It's almost as bad as Utah and Pennsylvania where you have to buy beer, wine, liquor, like almost a separate place. Right, uh, only a few right. grocery stores have beer. Yeah. But yeah, no, border bleed is a huge thing. And this and, and it's worse now. It isn't even like the old days with prohibition and alcohol because we have a global market. As so long as the UK and New Zealand and you know other countries continue to have safe, legal e-cigarettes and human beings in America who like basically started the craft beer revolution have access to liquid nicotine and flavorings, you're yep. never going to stop this. All no. you're going to do is make sure that they don't buy it in America or don't buy it legally. They make it themselves. Yeah, it's, we it's insanity. It is. It is insanity. And it's not, and you know, it's not like it's, so the black market is what caused Evoli. Mm -hmm. And then they use Evoli to ban nicotine vaping, which is going to create a bigger black market. I mean, how they have to see that this is what's going on. I mean, they have to, right? Uh, some so I uh, uh, like I said, I, my bias is optimism. I am a huge optimist. I will always find <laughs> silver lining somewhere. Sure. And with the E Valley crisis, not at the beginning, but after after it was pretty much over, uh, once the CDC admitted what we all knew, starting in at least July, then I started to see people who weren't necessarily on our side or who weren't vapors, who weren't in the space, kind of step back and say, like, this is not right and then they read some others and they're like wait other people were saying this like six months before you cdc said anything right. so i think they're pressing their luck by with studies like the stanford study with the e-valley crisis i think they're showing their hand a little too much and it's i mean even if people already knew that that was going on i think it's too obvious some people still have integrity and shame <laughs> not a lot of people in government but there are some people out there some reporters some just individuals, some researchers who have enough shame to say, this is a little too obvious for me. Like right. I'm on board, but not if you make it this obvious, I kind of have to say something. Like right. I kind of have to show skepticism here. So, and like I said, with ICOS, I said this a bunch with ICOS being, you know, getting its partial uh, modified risk modified tobacco risk, yeah. to market itself as mod modified risk in some way or another. The tobacco folks are, you know, the anti-tobacco, anti-nicotine people are going to be having a real hard time coming up now with convincing people that a cigarette is a cigarette is a cigarette is a cigarette. If it has right. nicotine, it's a cigarette. if it's it, nicotine and not a pharmaceutical product, it's just a cigarette because the FDA has now said that that's not the case. Right. And a lot of people have already admitted that if heated tobacco products are less harmful than combustible cigarettes, 
e-cigarettes are less harmful than that. Than that. So you're going to have a real hard time convincing people that that isn't the case anymore. Well, and they're still trying. I still see people trying to demonize ICOS and things like this. And, you know, ICOS is harm reduction. There's just no way around it. Obviously, vaping is even safer than that. I'm wondering if ICOS getting that modified risk to, you know, designation maybe creaks open the door just a little bit so that vaping can go, hey, hey, us too, maybe? Something it's like a little that? Bit like, um, I think it'll be like marijuana. So, you know, the reason politicians didn't get on board with legalizing cannabis on their own. They didn't say, no. oh, the research no. now shows that it's safe. They didn't do that. The rest of the world saw their friends consuming cannabis in a responsible way. And as it, it you know became more and more permissive, our society, this open secret, this open defiance of the cannabis laws, you know, you have Doug Benson on YouTube every week getting high, it's literally called getting <laughs> Doug with high and yep. having celebrities on. And they're not like jumping out of windows from five stories up. Mm -hmm. They're just like having a pretty good time. And more people that in your life started to talk about, well, oh yeah, like I remember I had a friend when I found out that he was awake in Baker, I was shocked. I'm like, he's so productive. Because, yeah. you know, I just, you think of back in the seventies, you would think of vape. I mean, you think of cannabis pot users is like yeah. people who stayed in their mom's basement all day because those were the only people willing to come out and talk about it and say yeah. it because they didn't care enough. Well, and that's <laughs> so the way, you know, that's the way it got portrayed, uh, you know, on TV shows and media and movies. And it was always, you know, I just pictured Jim Brewer from Half Baked. I'm like, yeah, that's this, that's the pothead kind of stoner guy. That's what they wanted us to think that pothead stoner guys were like. When really they win Olympic gold medals too. Yes, that, I remember when yeah, with a snowboarder. I can't remember his name right now. When he, he, you know, he lost his medal because he tested positive for for cannabis, yeah. and everyone was like, "Give him an extra medal." <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, give, he got up and did that. Uh, but so as, as it became more, as society became more permissive, and you started to see like grandma smoking pot, and like yeah. dude down the street who mows his lawn every weekend, it, what he admitted to using weed. The stigma lesson and so we're going to have this with icos is going to be around people are going to see more people using it they're going to be curious yeah. they're going to get their friends are going to tell them oh it's harm reduction blah 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 and so it's going to it is going to open that door a little bit of creak in people's minds they're like oh well okay maybe everything i thought isn't true and that the right. world's a little bit bigger than just big tobacco not big tobacco right right there's what we call nuance to yeah. this oh, topic just a Let's little bit and we're and not all lab rats in a weird experiment. And it's weird to me that it took so long for tobacco to get to like a marketable heat, not burn thing, because, you know, as we've been talking about cannabis, they've been heat, not burning for a really long time. Well, the reason is tobacco control. So there was actually a time in the seventies where the government was looking into reduced risk tobacco. They were looking into how they could reduce the risk, make a safer cigarette. And sure. these anti-tobacco groups threw a hissy fit. And they said, and uh, you know, some, some of these folks are now Quit or no die. longer with Quit or die. They're not with tobacco control anymore. And now they're kind of on our side. A lot of them have changed. It is like someone like Clive Bates back in the day. And I'm not sure if this in this particular instance was someone like him saying it, but folks like him, right. you know, used to ash in the UK, uh, were saying this is no, if you make it safer, people won't quit. So the government came down on a few tobacco companies functionally saying, don't, I mean, you know, some of the stuff they were looking into was very bad, like asbestos filters. <laughs> like that's right. Not, yeah. Probably a great thing that that didn't actually make it to market, but you know, but, but the U S government itself was trying to figure out how they could do this. And a lot of those researchers who were involved got excommunicated, shamed, don't talk to them. This is a Michael Siegel type 
uh, who used to work with Stanton Glantz a lot and was functionally excommunicated from, sure, from that sure. world. Uh, so, but that's why you don't have it is because you had a standardized market beholden to tobacco control and the U.S. government. And the U.S. government said basically no, because they were beholden to tobacco control. They said, don't, we, we're not going to approve this because a cigarette's wow. a cigarette's a cigarette. With cannabis, because it is, un, it was for a very long time, just banned and unregulated. And we saw this with e-cigarettes before a lot of this stuff happened. You know, like you were saying, like a uh, diacetyl and yeah. other stuff, they were saying, our customers are saying they don't want this in there, so we're going to take it out. Yeah, so we, we self-regulate. We're going to take it out. Nothing else. Right. Uh, PG makes some people have allergic reactions. We're going to try VG. We're going right. to try a combination of uh, the Even two, just you know? the so, idea of like childproof bottles. We didn't need to have yeah. childproof bottles, but we said, okay, we should have childproof bottles. Self-regulated. Now it's you know industry standard without needing any sort of legislation or federal regulation, childproof bottles. Unfortunately, though, that that innovation is going to go away a little bit. I mean, it'll still be there. But with this regulatory process where, you know, imagine if, let's say, 100 of these PMTAs get accepted and approved. Who's going to go back in to do more? I mean, a few a few might, but you're not going to do it every time you have a great idea for a new flavor. Sure, every sure. time you have a great idea for a new in innovative like uh, mechanical structure, you're not going to do it because it's a million dollars at least every time. Uh, and but you will have, like I said, craft beer what was going on in craft beer before it was legal before it was legal to homebrew yes. you had a super vibrant homebrewing movement where people were just sharing with each other and it was one of those almost open secrets again mm -hmm. where everyone just said hey i'm at the party here's my homebrew hope you don't die i mean that never that doesn't happen with right, beer right right you're seeing it in south africa where they banned tobacco and alcohol during for, for covid yeah great idea that was a great idea uh, and now you have people dying from methylated alcohol which is functionally you know industrial alcohol being added in dying because their 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 livers just shut down immediately yeah. when you when well you it's like uh, you know bathtub mint juleps from the prohibition era it's the same so idea. you're not going to have that and, and but that's the thing you know with, with like with cannabis like with vaping like with home home brewing that almost never happens that almost i mean maybe you'll get some kind of like ooh, it's a little fungusy <laughs> like you're sure, sure. Not, a little funky going on what is that quite right yeah but people aren't dying and with the vapor you know with i i mean i watched this i was elated shun surprise it was it was inspiring to watch the early vaping movement behave like the early craft beer movement where they are talking about research studies we need to take this out and they're marketing on that too saying like well we don't have metals or we don't have this and I'm like yep. that's awesome that's going to go away in the regulated market probably because you know you're not going to be able to say we don't have x in it anymore unless you get fda approval right because uh, then you're making some kind of implied claim but I think over time, you'll get more and more. People will get used to it, I hope. Uh, depends. Uh, it depends. I think we will know how the regulated market is going to go in the next five years, depending on whether or not the FDA approves five or whether they approve like a thousand. Yeah. If they approve a thousand, then you're like, okay, we, yeah. this, you're, you're a real regulatory body. You're not yes. just a figurehead that's going to rubber stamp a couple of them. And then say no to everybody else without any reason. Like that teacher who's just like, I'm just giving an A to everybody, or I'm just going to randomly give you an F and you an A. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. I well, mean, they don't have enough. They don't have enough money and people to do 2,000 in three years, even even no, though they're impossible. supposed to be able, supposed to have to do it in I think one or two years. And there's no way they could do. I would say they wouldn't be able to do 50 of them that, it's that gonna, quickly. It's going to take them a decade. It's they're going to have to rubber stamp some. Yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, mean they're going to have to rubber stamp some. 
they could have made it easier on themselves. Everyone was telling them there are thousands and thousands of products that could potentially file. And they yep. said, no, no, we'll be, we'll be shocked if we get a hundred. Like, you could have made it easy by saying, here's a list of ingredients in certain quantities. If you don't go outside of that, you're automatically approved. Yep. Right. And then you just have to do some stuff for the extras or where you go over a little bit. You just have to do that research and submit that information. They sure. could have done that. It would have been so easy. It would have made their lives much easier, but they didn't do well, it. You know, the, the federal government has no, you know, motivation to be efficient. Well, <laughs> in, there's in, no in competition. Capacity. Yeah, because <laughs> there's, there's no competition, competition. right? There's no competition at all. And it's funny that you mentioned craft beer because I think I was, when I mentioned this to Danielle, that, that's where I kind of picture at least our side, like my side of the hobbyist vape industry, kind of becoming more like craft beer having that kind of like homemade home brewed culture of sharing and and craftiness what's i mean what yeah, and the, it's gonna get it, it oh sorry what go ahead i was gonna say what do you think the is that realistic to think that oh you know 100 percent, and you're gonna see it turn into more of a cannabis type culture where it's counterculture right which unfortunately right. For, for people who care about you vaping experimenting with with the vapes yeah uh that makes it cooler if you have a counterculture thing, you had that with craft beer. It was like, you know, you had, uh, uh, oh, I can't think of any right now, like Flying Dog. And it was a real counterculture. And you're like, yeah, we don't give a fuck. Yeah. And <laughs> it's, you know, craft beer, you still get that. But like craft beer is a lot more corporate than it used to be. It's, yes. it's a lot more formalized and that's fine. And yes. cannabis is starting to get that way as well, where they're like, all right, just don't don't put the F word on your cannabis packages, please. You know, we, we're a respectable industry now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're going to, you're going to, and we had that with vaping and you're going to see it again. It's sort of, I mean, people are going to play around. They're probably going to be a little tongue in cheek with some yep. things. You know, there's probably going to be way more unicorn poop flavors than you'd ever thought you wanted to see on the market yeah. because it's funny. Absolutely. It's funny to thumb your nose government and be a little rebellious. And that's, you know, that's, I, I assume that's where it's going to go. And the, there's no way the FDA can deal with this. There's no, no way they can deal with this. Nope. First of all, it'd be a PR nightmare. It's why they've never, it's why the DEA never goes after, um, the states that legalize cannabis because it would be a nightmare to have to be putting granny and you know little little cousin betty in jail with with firearms you know uh, then it would prompt voters to actually do something about this and right. didn't want right. the fda going in and arresting you know grandma grandpa pop and like mom and pop shop vapor out of their trunk uh then other people might start to have sympathy yes for vapors and what's going on well we can't have that no, absolutely. That's why I think that they're trying to separate out one of the reasons that they really keep out anybody who has third, fourth, fourth tiered relationships with tobacco. Your grandfather worked at a tobacco company. You can't come to our conference. Right. Is because they, don't want, they don't want those people who are kind of on the fence, who are who are new, who are on the fence in tobacco control to actually meet these people, meet people like me. Like, right. I, I, you know, I'm just I'm not a smoker. I'm just a person. I do research. I, I'm pretty objective. Here's yeah. what I think. It makes me a human being in their eyes and shows them the other side is not the evil, you know, this this cartoonish caricature of right. big tobacco. Yeah. You know, they meet people like you who has no links with big tobacco at all. I mean, people always say my organization and therefore I have links because you always everyone always does exactly what their organization says and does. And Absolutely. Wants. Unquestioning. Unquestionably. Yeah. Um <laughs> But yeah, so I mean, I think their sympathy is is hugely important. And unfortunately, you know, tobacco control has done a great job of, of saying, well, big tobacco is evil. And everyone agrees with that now. Right. 
And then e-cigarettes are just big tobacco. Yeah. Well, they even tried, well, wasn't it the American Heart Association that uh, big vapor, big vape or something like that. They tried to push the big, the, big, the big vape narrative. And the big sticky pocket, a big vape. Yeah. Uh, I, it's, you know, it, but unfortunately, fortunately, unfortunately, when all this stuff starts going down, people are going to say, well, there is no way, you know, Joe Bob, who's dealing vapes out of his trunk, is linked with big tobacco. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. You just can't do that. Well, and now craft beer gets away with whatever they want. Doesn't matter. Edible glitter. I mean, come on. Edible glitter. You've seen like the Dunkaroos stout that is literally the Dunkaroos logo and like the, the Atomic Warheads sour beers. That's where I want vape to get. I want vape to get to that you know, point. People outside of the, of the alcohol industry don't see everything that goes on behind how much struggle they have with regulators, how much um, internal controls they have on the industry itself these rules about advertising, <clears throat> I mean, they don't apply to colors and names and stuff like that and flavors because that's never been a problem in alcohol. It's not been a problem in cannabis. It probably will be when tobacco control shifts its its gaze over to them. Sure. But, you know, they're in order to deal with the regulatory pressures, the alcohol industry really has some pretty stringent self-regulations on, on advertising and what they can say and who can be in their ads and what can be shown. In America, sure. anyway. Sure. If you look at the ads sure. in Germany, they're awesome. Chicks <laughs> <It's just, laughs> in bikinis and like uh, ridiculous. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Dang, Michelle. Well, we're 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 about an hour and an hour and fifteen minutes in. We're going to start wrapping this up. But there's one thing I wanted to ask you, and that is, when did tobacco control start moving from the idea that we're trying to protect people from the harms of smoking? to just this nicotine this this blanket anti-nicotine type of thing was this was this with jewel was was with the epidemic that this started happening no it started uh actually around prohibition so after after they succeeded with alcohol pro prohibition there was literally campaign pain uh, campaign called nicotine next so it, it the tobacco control modern tobacco control is is just the intellectual grandchild of that temperance era, uh, it's it's a rejection of hedonism, this idea of pleasure, and it's sure. a very you know Anglo-Christian, you know European idea of if you engage in physical pleasure, that's not godly. Therefore, it's evil, sure. and you're evil. And you know, in modern tobacco control, where it really started, so they used cigarettes, and it was perfect because cigarettes were terrible. Cigarettes you know, it was a perfect, were terrible. Uh, for you. Yeah, they killed people. Yeah, there's a lot of evidence about this. Uh, but where it really started to shift and, and the, the mask really started to drop on the health side of it, that, that the health concerns were really what they cared about, right. was right around 2009, when you can see, if you go back and look, Campaign for Tobacco for Kids, because the smoking rates were plummeting so much, and it, and you, it, funding was dropping so much because people weren't interested. It, it's not an epidemic anymore. It's not, right. you know, we were approaching smoke-free society levels at that point. So they, the Campaign for Tobacco for Kids started looking at lozenges, flavored nicotine lozenges. Mm. Um, what, what, why is that? That's not smoking. What's how many kids are actually using flavored lozenges? Yeah. Really? Gums? What, why is this a thing? No one's, no, there's no evidence of this. Yeah. But right at the same time that the vaping thing came around, so they instantly shifted knowing that that was a way better target for them. And it was, they were right because it looks like a cigarette. It had cigarette in the name. Dang. 
it was around 2009, 2008, maybe somewhere in that like three year period where tobacco control was desperately looking for something else to target, to make, to make a big front page news story again. And they found it unfortunately with e-cigarettes and I, like i said you, yeah. if everybody could go back in time if han lick could go back someone find him and be like don't call it an e-cigarette yeah. call it anything else anything Literally else anything <laughs> don't else put cigarette in the name make it big and bulky right from the start i don't even care if that bulk does nothing just tie some cardboard around it so it doesn't yeah. look like yeah anything. well that's the thing like back in the early days 2009 when i started vaping everybody wanted them to look as as much as they could like a cigarette yeah, you wanted to be able to hold it like a cigarette. Hold it like a cigarette. I remember and, Enjoy Kings back in 2012. Oh, yeah. They yeah. were, they looked, it was shocking how much they looked mm-hmm. like a cigarette. And they even had like the squishy filter tips on them. Oh, I don't like little, that. They were little spongy, squishy filter tips. Yeah. The Enjoy Kings. That, that's how you got. And that's, you know, Han Lick was, he's a brilliant per. He's a genius. And I hope someday he celebrated like Norman Borlaug, who's, you know, who's credited the uh, agriculturalist, yeah. who's credited saving like billions of lives around billions the world lives, with his yes. agricultural technology. I hope someday Hunlick is celebrated like that. You know, he was saying, how how do we get smokers to accept this weird thing? Because pharmaceutical companies had their inhalers before and no one liked them. No one no. used them. They were gross. They didn't work. No. They felt weird. They were terrible. They didn't have enough nicotine, all this other stuff. Yeah. Um, but he, he came up with the perfect thing. And then, you know, credit to human ingenuity immediately started changing it and like turning yep. it back into the thing that was previously rejected, like almost looks more similar to the old inhalers, except not just white and medical. Um, yeah. Those yeah. old inhalers were, I had no interest in those. Even when I was a smoker, I saw those commercials and went, what are you kidding me? Well, this is what tobacco be, control never understands. Never uh, tobacco control doesn't understand this. And they don't want to understand this is that people don't want to be punished. Right. right. So they see they see nicotine use as a sin and your punishment is either quit cold turkey and suffer. Yep. Die, quit or die. Quit or die. Quit or die. Or, you know, go to these stupid meetings that don't work. Use this patch. Chew this horrible gum. Use this stupid inhaler. And it's all punishment. You are atoning for your sin of right. daring to, like, use something that made you feel good. Right. And e-cigarettes aren't that. They're fun. Yes. And so I- they, they don't understand that, pe- that they want people to know they've been bad. And yes. to submit to punishment, mm-hmm. and people I, don't want to do that. They don't understand why they can't. That's a huge part of it. They don't understand why they can't do it because it's. And this is one of the reasons, I, you know, whether they know it or not, they don't want a safer form of tobacco, is because that's the stick. Like that. That's the the carrot and the stick kind of idea of. You'll die if you if you don't quit. You have to submit to punishment, atone for your sins, or mm-hmm. you're gonna die. Mm-hmm. And without that, it's just fun, right? Yeah. Right? Like it's it's yep. sex with condoms. You right. know, it's safe. When, you know HIV, but uh, if you wear protection, if you're like safe in your practices and well, you know who you choose, sure. you can still have sex and not die, and yeah. that's horrible. People who are like religious, like shoot, lost a really good argument against yeah, it. Yeah, no atonement for your sins there. Well, and I, and the enjoyment of it, I think, is a huge factor of why. Kind of one of the reasons why they hate it so much is that we enjoy it. It's not just that we quit, which feels like a big, huge success if you're a smoker. It's that we enjoyed quitting and then we continue to enjoy it afterwards. And they just, they're not having that. They don't like that at all. Yeah. They can't bring someone like you into a, you know, fifth grade class and say, well, I used to smoke a pack a day. And yeah. Now I'm having a great time. Yeah. Like, you now you I gotta can vape. Do- watch this kids. 
you know, tobacco users who are trying to quit are walking billboards to kids and other people why you shouldn't pick up smoking because they're like, God, it sucks. It's horrible. I'm angry. I'm irritable. Yeah. Trying to quit. Don't like it. I really want to smoke. And that like that's a signal to everyone around them. Like, oh, I really shouldn't. I should really stay away from that because I don't want that to be me someday. Yeah. But you see people vaping, having a great grand old time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Puffing well, away in bars. And look, we have Tobacco 21 now nationwide. It's good enough. To, 21 and over with an ID is good enough for literally every other vice that that exists. Like I, I always say, you can get birthday cake flavored vodka. All you need is an ID. You can get mm-hmm. a, a large thing of birthday cake flavored vodka. All you need is an ID. Order it online. Get it shipped to your house. Yeah, order it online. Get it shipped to your house. All you need is an ID. That's not good enough for vaping, though. Yeah, I don't know why. I, there's no good reason why it shouldn't be there's just no as well. Good, yeah. Especially now when we have technology, you know, this has come from the gambling world. That was a big thing with online gambling. It's like, well, you'll never know if a kid gets in. Yeah, a kid, kid could get on and start gambling away. And you're like, well, you know, you need a credit card and an ID. You know, you right. need to basically right. like, what if they steal their parent's ID and credit card and spend $50,000? I'm like, well, I think that's probably on the parent. There's yeah. no credit card they spend that much. Are they not checking their, like, are they leaving their social security number? hanging around for their asshole kid yeah you yeah but but you know online gambling companies have extremely sophisticated in new jersey for example is one of the really hard places because it's so for a really long time it was so close to other states where online gambling wasn't legal they Mm -hmm. had to be able to pinpoint where somebody was Mm -hmm. within a city block Uh, and if they were moving they had to be able to calculate how soon they would hit a border so they could ping them to know if they were crossing a border and cut them off wow and they have so they have that's locational technology, but they also have identification technology where they can correlate your name, your address, your social security number, right. you know, how, how many cars back you purchased. Right. If you ever get that question, like, what kind of car did you drive? What was the make and model of your car in 1997? Like they have access to that. E-cigarette companies online can do that as well in yeah. a lot of ways. And I've said this with online gambling. It is you are more likely to stop youth that way than just uh, at the 7-Eleven. The guy looking at a fake ID, he's got to figure out if this is a fake ID or not a fake ID. And you have someone online who's like, give me your social security number. What kind of car do you drive in 97? Are you alive in 97? You know, so. Yeah. Well, it's, and- utterly, it's, it's utterly um, ludicrous and illogical. And the problem the problem isn't that people don't see it or know that it's this. They don't, it's not that they don't know black markets are going to rise and that's going to be, they don't, they don't care. Right. They just don't seem to care. They just don't seem to care at all. to make the other people care. And that's the thing is now, so now we have this vape mail ban bill working its way through the, the system, the Senate or the House. I'm not exa- I don't remember exactly where it is. It seems completely unnecessary to me because we have the technology to age verify people on the internet. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I, or, and I mean, you know, I don't. You know, I don't know about that. At least USPS or so uh, UPS and FedEx will still it'll raise the price a lot yeah. for people, which is crappy. And I, you know, I don't know why this argument never picked up. But like the people who need that the most are the oldest smokers, the ones yes. who are most likely to relapse, who can't get in the car, maybe can't drive anymore, mm-hmm. maybe they lost their license, mm-hmm. maybe they live somewhere really far, maybe they live on a reservation that is like miles and miles away from any shop mm-hmm. uh and speaking of reservations man are they gonna have a boom yeah oh states? new york already they is yeah i mean in a weird way it's a, it's an issue that i care about uh just like native american issues and in a weird way this is like one of the best things that could happen to them is <laughs> yeah. if they reject 
if they reject, because I know uh, Lung Association, Cancer Society, they've been all over reservations and uh, First Nations people to say like, you need to ban smoking, you need to ban vapes on, on tribal property. Mm. Uh, don't allow vape shops. If they reject that, woof, for the next couple of years, they're yeah. going to have a huge windfall. If wow. they allow flavored vapes on reservations, like you, if a few people yeah. have already worked out deals because yep. you have to be, you know, I have to be a member of the tribe in order to rent or buy property on tribal land. But if you can get that and sell flavored vapes, people will be coming from miles and miles around to yeah. buy it from you. Well, that's what they're doing in uh, in New York State, I believe. There was one vendor, Fluid Vapor, who they've been around in the industry for a really long time. They worked out a deal with the local reservation where the reservation, uh, the, they, they purchased the vapor company as mm -hmm. their own, but kept all the employees and kept them, you know, they, they worked around this deal. So now in New York State, you, you can drive and just go to the reservation and people get it in their head. You know, when you think of a Native American reservation, people picture like, oh, well, you got to drive like four hours out to the middle of nowhere to. No, it's just right there. Yeah. In most states depends on the state. You know, maybe if you're in New Mexico or Arizona where it's, you know, maybe. but it's enormous, enormous. Uh, uh, I can't remember which one that is Navajo, the huge Navajo um, land out there. Mm -hmm. But no, it, it and this has been going on for many, many decades. People go mm -hmm. to tribal properties to buy cigarettes yep. because they don't. They don't have to have the state taxes. So they're easily set up. Just be like, hey, guess what? We're also a vape shop now. Yep. We do flavors because well, New York doesn't allow it. And I used to do the same thing. I spent a, a large portion of my life in Carson City, Nevada, where it's one stoplight is, okay, this is reservation land. This is, you know, whatever, city land. And that's where we'd go to buy all of our cigarettes. You just go one stoplight over and now you don't have to pay the taxes. Yeah, it's like no one taught and that's one of those things that's how you know nobody cares about this stuff is because it's all obvious like it's already happening yeah. it's been happening forever it, there's literally no way to stop it and no one cares yeah. i don't know why they think it's going to help they don't think it's going to help they just get what they want i guess and hopefully <laughs> like i said in a couple of years the rest of the country will wake up a little bit and when they start to see when they start to see people being having their heads bashed in by cops for selling flavored vapes yeah. or being arrested Rested, then maybe they'll start to care and realize, oh, maybe we were led down a wrong path, paved by good intentions, kind of, yeah. not really. Paved uh, by paved. Maybe paved by good intentions. Yeah, pa paved by good intentions. Yeah. yeah. Uh, God, I don't even want to get into them. I don't want to get <laughs> no. into those millionaires. No, no. Well, they're just, in Governor Cuomo's here for sure. I'm just jealous. They have worked out the sweetest deal I've ever seen. Somehow they get to do nothing and be self righteous and just get to be millionaires. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. And just commit perjury. That's and that's great. fine. Yeah, perjury. I mean, <laughs> perjury only counts if somebody cares. It only counts as perjury if somebody's willing to prosecute. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's very true. Uh, well, shit, man. Uh, this was a lot of fun, Michelle Mitten. Thank you for coming Absolutely. on here. I think we're going to wrap this up. Let me ask you one last thing. Like, what do you think is going to happen in within the next two to three years, tobacco control, vaping? What are your predictions, Michelle Mitten? Hmm. Too hard to say. That's because a lot of things could happen in that time. I think I it's it's well, it's lawsuits. That's what it's going to be for the next two to three years. It's going to be lawsuits, the flood of them. Just get ready, get ready to read more legalese than you ever thought you oh could handle. Because it's going to be yes. lawsuits, 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 and then you'll have the slow bubble up of uh, vape culture. You know, uh, rebellious off the grid vape culture. You'll start to see more of that. Um, yes. What the fun thing is is that usually that kind of culture is is young people. You know, dealers are young. 
so they can mm-hmm. get away with it. Or they don't mm-hmm. get arrested. You know, they don't. They get less jail time. I feel like the underground vape culture is going to be the oldest people. <laughs> like it's going to be the oldest yes. speaking culture that's ever existed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's like you said. There's just so much up in the air. Lawsuits. Uh, a lot of big black market stuff going on, which. I'm not really worried about the black market. You know, people on, on Twitter and things, they'll say, oh, well, the black market, that's where Ivali came from. And there's this, I don't think the vape black market, the e-liquid black market is going to be a dangerous thing. Here's the problem. So it, it hasn't been so far. And the people in the U.S. who are mostly part of the black market, who have been previously, they're all good people. They're, they're, they're in it because they want to help other people. And yeah. that's, that's the way it's been in a lot of countries. However... Once you have an actual prohibition on the books, mm-hmm. that's when you start to get the cartels involved. And I don't just mean like cocaine cartels. I mean, sure. you get organized crime involved. You get it coming from other countries. And that's when the danger starts to arise. But but I think I think vapors, for the most part, will have a system because this, you know, is online. Everyone knew dank vapes was crap. Like everyone knew that yeah. was shady. Yeah. Shit. Uh, with, with, there will be review sites to be like, this black market vape is best, you know, this one is safe, whatever. This one's from China, don't use that one. Uh, right. So not that it necessarily from China would be bad, but just that that's where a lot of the cartelized uh, spice K2 dank vapes gets yeah, you know, yeah. through. Uh, so I, I think you're right in a way, but but when there's a black market and, and it grows, it's like blood in the water again for sharks and they all come in because they can, you will, you will start to see people who previously made money on marijuana start to make money on knockoff jewel pods and all of that. And that's where the danger could arise. But I, I, have tr- I believe in the vape, because the vaping community is so close, they will find a way to warn and create some kind of standards for themselves. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Oh. I definitely agree with that. And, you know, forums, and I remember back in 2009 on ECF, before there was even e-liquid manufactured in the United States, when our only option was China, you still had big groups of people who were DIYing and who were saying, hey, I got, I made 50 bottles of unicorn cheesecake. It's up for sale now. And people would just jump on it. And I would do the same thing and I would just buy it. And it's all, it's all about that like crafty DIY sort of underground nonsense. I think we'll Yeah, keep- now someone's just got to make an app that can't get, that no one knows who owns it. So the government can't come down on it so people can review yeah, and, uh, yeah. Let people know what to avoid and what's good. Yeah, exactly. What to avoid and what's good. Um, well, while I have you here, we'll do let's do the three super chats that came in. Southern Comfort. I'm at Stellar Vapor in Lutz, Florida. We're shouting out Doug. All right, Doug. Uh, Hamish says Michelle Mitten is my new harm reduction crush. Well, <laughs> I mean, she's a happily married woman, uh, Hamish. Just so, just you know, just so you're aware. And then uh, finally, last one from Joe Tech Two Fifty. Please continue your work and give us the real information. With all my respect and love, uh, very much. Thanks. Oh, my respect and love from Luxembourg. I love you very much. Thanks. I appreciate that, Joe Tech Two Fifty. Really appreciate that. And one last time, it's Michelle Mitten, everybody. Thank you so much for coming on, Michelle Mitten. I'd love to have you on again sometime. We can discuss, uh, you know, freedom and Star Trek and whatever else comes across our table. Still working through the original series. Still going through it. Like season two, end of season two now, getting getting there. 
Are you going to do the movies okay. afterwards? Oh, I, that's I'm like trying to rush through it because I can't wait to get. To, I want to get to the one about the whales. I've heard there's one with whales, and I'm very oh, excited. Yes, yeah, Star Trek Four. That's my favorite Star Trek movie. So the Voyage excited. Home. Oh, it's so good. All right. And then we're going to go all the way back through, not to get all nerdy, we're going to go back through TNG as well. Because yeah, I've already well, seen yeah. that, but I don't, it's been so long, I don't remember. As you should. Yeah, I watched TNG growing up, like with my dad. My dad was a big Star Trek fan, and so mm-hmm. we watched TNG every night it was on. Every single night. Q. Oh, it's so good. So good, Michelle Minton. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me on. This was really fun. I love, yeah. a, I love a media appearance with a two-drink minimum. Yes, two drink, two drink minimum, uh, uh, edible glitter included. Um, uh, stay on the Zoom call if you would, Michelle. I'm just going to take us out here. But thank you, Michelle Minton, for coming on. That was fantastic. Uh, she's uh, she's brilliant. I look up to Michelle Minton uh, quite a bit, and uh, I, I really appreciate her being here. But uh, thank you guys so much for coming out. Uh, the replay and podcast will be available as soon as humanly possible. I'm going to put some links down in the description to a few of the things that we talked about. But in the meantime, remember that no matter what anybody tells you, vaping is at least 95% less harmful than burning deadly combustible tobacco cigarettes. So yeah, you guys, let's keep on vaping. Be excellent to each other. Peace. (laughs) 